Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. I first heard Burhana watching Donald Glover's show, Atlanta. It's one of the few shows I know I'm going to discover new music when I watch it. Some tracks don't stand up to repeat listens outside of the show. But Burhana was one of the artists from the second season I kept going back to. Burhana's voice really stands out in modern R&B. While pretty much everyone else these days sings with a whispery, atmospheric falsetto, Burhana has a crisp tenor, and it sounds refreshing. Burhana doesn't mind being different. He's first-generation American, born in Atlanta to Ethiopian parents, so he's always felt a bit out of place anyway. Still, he managed to find his people and eventually his sound. As you'll hear in this episode, the song you're listening to, Janet, is an ode to the original dark-skinned Aunt Viv from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I sat down with Burhana at Village Studios in LA to talk about how a young artist can go from working bad restaurant gigs to earning enough on music to eke out a living and how he ended up in Tokyo to record most of his album, Han. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode. Here's my conversation with Burhana. But first he starts off with a performance of the song that got me hooked. Grey Love. Yo, that was amazing, man. Oh, thank you, man. That was beautiful. Appreciate you. 
Yeah, so that was an acoustic version, uh, stripped down version of of Grey Love, yep. which is uh, from your first project, your yeah. your EP, mm-hmm. and uh, it's called Burhana, self titled. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, that song is actually how I first discovered you. Like I'm sure many people, mm. because it got featured on Donald Glover's show yeah. Atlanta. Yep. Um, that must have been huge for an up and coming artist like it you. Was, or you yeah. were, at the time, you might not have even been up and coming. You were just someone putting out music. Yeah. I mean, it must have been massive. It was crazy. It was, it was crazy for a few different reasons. That show was m- my favorite show on television by far. I was like super in tune with it. Um, I loved the writing. I'm from Atlanta. Um, Donald's one of my favorite artists. So just all of that, you know, happening at once was a very cool moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. I know like a lot of a lot of younger artists like look for placements and find placements. Mm. How big are placements for, like, an artist like you? I think it, you know, it depends on, like, the show. It depends if it's, like, a movie, commercial. You know, it's all different. Um, I don't go out of my way to, like, get placements. I think there are a lot of people that do. They're like, oh, this movie is looking for these style songs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I was with this other team at the time and they were like oh like 50 shades of gray like you just gotta <laughs> you just gotta make something a little sexy and, da, da, da. and i was like oh i'm not about to do that you know yeah, yeah. um that'd be a bad look man. yeah exactly but to like have your own song that feels like you yeah and then someone else takes that that's cool that's um not going out of my way for it feels better absolutely so another reason that must have been like important and big for you is because you weren't initially trying to be a musician or be, you know, like play yeah. music for a living. You were trying to be a screenwriter. Yeah. And totally. that's like, that's like, so it's like kind of your two worlds colliding in a way, like this totally. amazing show with your music. How did you get into screenwriting? My sister. That's like the easiest answer. My sister is 12 years older than me. And uh, she kind of like shaped who I am. She would always, she went to NYU, but she would always like come home for extended amounts of time just to like stay with me and still be present in my life and would put me onto different movies she really liked and television shows and would break down A stories, B stories, C stories. Like she she wow. already knew what like she wanted me to be in a way. Like we kind of joke about that all the time. Um but I like I was like, oh I want to go to NYU. I want to be in the dramatic writing program. Um and that was like I was like oh that's what I want to do. I love TV, I love film. So I was like, oh, I just want to like write. For the rest of my life, I just want to write. And I did music, um, but it was more so like a passion project. It was for me. I'd show a couple friends here and there, but I never thought it was going to be the driving force by any means. And what were the first songs you wrote? The first song I wrote was about like my dad who like left. <laughs> I was like seven or eight. Um, my sister had left the house at the time, but my brother was still there. And it was to no music. It was just like story it was just like writing I, I had no I wasn't playing piano I wasn't I was just like creating the melody and just writing the thing and I, I showed my brother and he was the first person to really encourage me when it came to music because he saw it as like almost like a journal he was like yo you have to make sure that you keep doing this and letting out how you feel this way he was like I had no idea you felt like this um and that was yeah that was the first song I wrote that's amazing to start trying to write songs at mm. seven what were you, I mean, and Atlanta is, you grew up in Atlanta and that's yeah. like such a diverse musical town. Totally. Like there's so much music going on and all kinds of music. You know, people I think now just think 
of like trap music or whatever. Mm. But like, there's so much kinds mm. of music going on in Atlanta. So what was there just a lot of music going on in your home or? Um, in my home, yeah, there was there was a bit of music. I'd say like there was a lot of like oldies, like Sam Cooke. My mom loved like Stevie Wonder. There was also like Ethiopian music being played a bunch, and then whatever my brother was listening to, whether it was like Beastie Boys or Outkast, and uh, my sister as well used to always make me CDs, mix CDs. So and we were in the church, but I didn't have like you know one of those parents. I was like listen to all of Prince's discography. Like, this is amazing. You have to understand why. I didn't have that. And I think the first thing I gravitated towards was storytelling. It was just like, oh, they're telling a very, like, unique story. I like how the words sound together. And that's what drew me in first. How steeped in Ethiopian culture were you growing up as a kid? Um, it was interesting growing up in Atlanta, and like having, being first generation African, um, cause you go home and it's, you know, the smells mm -hmm. are Ethiopian. The language that you're hearing your parents speak in um, is from Ethiopia. The decor, you know, everything is, is Ethiopia. Um, and then you like walk outside and it's like this Georgia. So there's like this Southern pride aspect and it's also Atlanta. So it's like very black and it's like, very proud as well. So to be in like these three different worlds at once was, it was a lot at times. But as an observer, I, I began to like really take it all in and appreciate it as, uh, you know, the older I got. Yeah, because those are the three really strong cultures. Exactly, like, yeah. Like, you're just like, I didn't even think about that part because I think of Atlanta sometimes as like on an island, you know, same as like New Orleans. But mm -hmm. yeah, there's like that Southern sort of element to it too, right? Yeah. Especially if you're not specifically in Atlanta exactly. and you grew up right outside of it. Like, did you ever feel, I don't know, I know a lot of first generation kids sometimes struggle with uh, feeling like, you know, maybe you don't want to accept your your heritage because you want to sort of just, you want to be, you want to fit in at school, you totally. know? So you, did you ever find yourself wanting to be more, be more, to fit into more one culture than the other or? Yeah, not... yeah, totally. There were definitely different times because I went to a school, my mom put me in this private school that was predominantly white. Um, that she worked at so that I could go to the school. But I remember once there was like a show and tell and my mom brought some different uh, Ethiopian food and like kids were like spitting it up. Like, what is this? What is some of my favorite foods? Mind you, like some of my favorites. And then seeing that made me feel like, you know, ashamed because yeah. I was really young at the time. And I was like, oh, I guess this isn't good. So I don't I don't want kids to come over and smell my house and eat the food we have. I'd rather go to your house. You right, know? yep. Um, so there was a lot of that when I was really young. And then the older I got, the more that just like went away. Yeah. And I, I found a community of a lot of different like first generation Africans through church and sports. We became super close. And those were the people I really identified with, even though they weren't Ethiopian um, or they didn't go to the same schools or whatever. It was just, oh, we share that that thing of being in different worlds at once. Yeah, you're yeah. sure being different in this place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's heartbreaking, man. Spit yeah, out yeah. The food. That's just like, yeah, it was like such a rejection. The of, one that spit know? out the food, it wasn't even crazy like food. It's like ginche. It's like kind of like similar to like rice or couscous. It's like something that no one should spit out. Just like <laughs> right. some dumb kid. Something really tame. Yeah, yeah. His name was Casey. It's not Dura Watt. So you remember yeah. the name still, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name's Casey. Punk. Man, I saw you went. To Ethiopia recently, right? I did, yeah. How often do you go back there? That was my first time, actually. First time? A month ago, yeah. Yeah, I had an opportunity to do a show over there. My mom hasn't hadn't been back for 47 years. Wow. 
And so I was like, this is the time. We should both go. And I got to bring her with me and see the country through her eyes. And it was yeah, a surreal experience. And how did you connect with Malatu Astaki out there, man? That's, that's insane. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, Brilliant Ethiopian musician, like incredible yeah. discography. Incredible, absolutely. Um, he's been one of my favorites since I was young. That was one of the ones my mom put me onto at an early age. And um, Albie, um, a girl from our team, who's right incredible. She's right over here. Yeah. Yep. She, uh, she, she made that happen. She, no I taught, yeah, she, I knew, she knew I really, uh, liked Mulatu and she had a connection. Yeah. She got us some time so we, we could sit down and really chop it up. How, Super thankful. It was crazy. How was that time, man? What did he? It was crazy, man. I like came to him kind of like approaching him with an idea I wanted to do and it kind and he was like, you know, kind of down, but then it, <laughs> Totally he flipped. He, it totally flipped. He was like, immediately went into, he just like taught me so much. It was like, we sat down for nearly three hours and he just talked to me about the history of music, how Ethiopia like plays into that, what instruments started in Ethiopia that no one knows about. And he's really like championing this kind of like, no one really knows like that much about Ethiopian music and its history, including Ethiopian people. Yeah. And he really wants to educate others. And he, yeah, he did that. He, he taught me so much. It was crazy. That's amazing. That's like sitting down with like the, that's like the Ethiopian Quincy Jones. You exactly, know? yeah. Like, I just shut up. I like didn't, I barely talked those three hours. <laughs> what instruments are from Ethiopia? I didn't even realize there was. Uh, the Masinko is like a really big one. It's kind of like a cello. That was one of the things he said. He was like, oh, what came first, the Masinko or the cello? And I was like, I guess, yeah, I guess the Masinko, because just <laughs> how he was phrasing the question. And then he kept doing that with different instruments, horned instruments, whatever it was. And then he would go into the history of it and how how that instrument was built and which tribe made that instrument. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of unique instruments to Ethiopia. That's amazing. Yeah, you can hear it when you listen to the music. It sounds like it's like orchestras full of like instruments you feel like what is that you totally. know either the plane in a way i've never heard this thing played or it's totally. a completely different instrument <laughs> yeah exactly but it's just it's such a beautiful like like sound that it's just yeah you know when you and when you're not used to hearing those sounds it just sounds especially just like like mystical or something totally. you know it's incredible we'll be back with my interview with brahana after a quick break apple card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card you earn up to three percent daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with the Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with Burhana. How did you, how many, so you had two siblings? Yeah. And you're the youngest. I'm the youngest, yeah. And they're both putting you on to, to movies and TV shows and music. Totally. And so then you decide you want to go study screenwriting and... Are you making music in college or are you? I, I, I was. When I got there, it was like I'd put music behind me. I remember I did one show in Atlanta right before I left where I just did like covers and a couple of my songs. And then after that, it was kind of like my, all right, and I'll come back like, to this later. How did you, how did you, how the performance look? Like, what, was it just you? And... It was me and a, and a band of okay. like people I just like recruited who were, who were great. Um, but we rehearsed like maybe for a week. And they, like, played this show with me for free. I had, like, no money. Um, and then when I came to New York, I was like, all right, I'm going to put that behind me, and I'm going to go all into this writing. And did um, you put it behind you because did it go well, or did it just feel no, like— No, it went, it went fine. But it was like, oh, this isn't what I'm—I'm pursu- I'm going to New York yeah. to be successful in this field. Got it. So I was like, I'm going to—I'll just revisit this later. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was just, for the most part, only doing writing, interning at shows— I'm doing a lot of different stuff at like UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade. And then into like my senior year, I started like getting kind of restless uh, because I really wanted to do music, but I just didn't know how. I I hadn't been like, there were a lot of like jazz school kids I'd been hanging out with, but it wasn't people I was like necessarily trying to make music with. Right. And then this one kid, his name was Jimmy. He had heard I like, sang because I used to like go to the piano room downstairs at the dorm and um, play songs now and then and people would come listen and he was like oh we should just do something together just for the fuck of it see how it goes and I was like yeah for sure let's do it and we did one song called Kingdom together for his project and then it did pretty well like for the first time I'd ever like put out a song it like got right up so it was like doing really well for him and I was like oh you know what this is cool I'm going to try and make my own stuff, or at least one song. I'm going to try and make one song under my name, see how it goes. Right. And then I, I wrote, like, basically the outline of Janet, uh, the song I put, ended up putting on my EP, and I'd connected with this kid, his name Sapphire, who also went to my uh, school for jazz, but he had dropped out because he was like, I know exactly what I want to do. I don't need to, like, be in school for it. And I loved that. I was like, oh, this is cool. I, I want to work with you. I want to like see if we can create something. And we ended up making the f- full EP together. Wow. Mm-hmm. So how did you write? So I love Janet too, because it's a, um, 
again, it's kind of combining both of your worlds, right? It's music and it's combining totally. like, it's like you, it's clearly someone with a love for TV had to write that. And I think probably everyone our age grew up loving, like obsessed with the Fresh Prince. Yeah. So <laughs> such a beautiful <laughs> send up to, uh, to Aunt Viv. Yeah. How did you come up with the idea for that? And how did it kind of develop? I saw a tweet. Um, from one of my really close friends, who's one of those first generation kids I was talking about that I was super tight with in Atlanta. He tweeted, uh, if you fuck with the light skin on Viv, I can't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was so funny. I just like started laughing, you know, I like, I, I retweeted it or whatever. Um, but then it like kind of was this, I was like, man, what did happen? You know, yeah. it kind of like planted the seed. And then I started just researching, like going in like this wormhole of what is, like what happened? Why was she kicked off the show? Does anyone really know? Like did, and then I, and then that led into being like, oh, this situation's kind of like fucked up. She hasn't worked in since that show really. She had, really? She like has had small stuff, but like. She was so good in that show too. Yeah, she was. And she was kind of like, yeah, excommunicated from this community she worked so hard to be a part of yeah um she had you know she was a really talented dancer singer actress went to juilliard was in the first production of cats on broadway finally snags this um series regular on nbc does so well people love her but because of a couple tiffs she gets in nbc is like you know what no we're gonna you're crazy we're gonna tell everybody you're crazy and you're off of this thing and it's just like that. It all went away and it made me so sad. And I was like, wow, I have to, I want to write something about this. So I wrote the chorus first um, at my house in Atlanta over like my piano. And I was like, oh, this is, I'm, I'm going to keep going with this. And then you called it Janet because mm -hmm. that's um, Janet Hubert. Yeah, Hubert, that's her real name. Right, the actress who played the initial Aunt Viv. Initial Aunt Viv, yeah. Right, the OG Aunt Viv. Um, and then the verses are those are those about her too, because it seems like those, the verses are maybe. Yeah, that's all about her. It's all about her. It's okay. funny. A lot of people when I first put it out, it's like girls would come up to me and be like, "Oh, like my name's Janet," or like, "I I, I want to be like I want to be your Janet." And I was like, "Yo, this song completely went over your head. <laughs> this <laughs> this is not about a love interest. This is not about anything of that sort. It's about you know, it's an ode to Janet Hubert." And it's about like being forgotten and what that's like and how I'm afraid of that, you know? You're afraid of being forgotten. Yeah, of course. Ah, oh, man. That's good songwriting, man, because it's like, it's about something so specific. And it and because the dressing around it is, sounds so great, it's like, mm. you can hear almost whatever you want to hear in it, you know? Yeah. Like you could hear that song and totally think it was about, you know, being left behind by a lover or, you know, it just depends on certain... That's cool. I love that it's open for interpretation. That's my. But. That's always been my favorite stuff. And it took me a long time to be like, okay, this is what it means to me. Because I like that people are taking away their own things. That's one of my favorite things about music. And something that I did with like the music I was listening to when I was younger in college, even now, it's like I, can, I make my own interpretations. And that's what makes it special. Yeah, all the time. I, yeah. I, I often sometimes... I like sometimes I like to look at lyrics and then sometimes I don't sometimes Same. I'm disappointed not yeah. that the lyrics are bad but I'm like wow I thought this whole time this was about mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. and I identified it with this and when I was feeling this way I put this on yeah. and it made me feel so like you know so <laughs> exactly. good you know and you're like oh it's like ruined now yeah. you know <laughs> uh, and I don't want to ruin it you know <laughs> totally, totally. that's the same reason why I don't 
look up lyrics a lot of the time. It's because I don't want it to be ruined. So when you put out the EP, you worked with Sapphire, what was your intention for that? Just to put it out or? Yeah, my intention was, well, a little bit before I'd put out the EP, I had like I was working on it, but I wasn't fully in. I was still doing so many other things. And I remember I was um, sending in a lot of like different packets, like applying to shows. And, like writing uh, packets. Writing to, packets. Right. And there was one show I thought I was going to get. And I was like, oh, if I get this, I'm going to go all in with this. And I'll like marinate on the EP and I'll, you know, it'll come out when it comes out. What show was it? Uh, it was, a uh, Colbert when he, like, took over, uh, oh, the, the Letterman show. spot, yeah. Uh, the Letterman spot, yeah. Um, and then I ended up not getting it, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna finish this, I'm gonna finish this EP right now. I was like, there's nothing else I want to do. I, I'd stopped, um, sending in packets at that point, and I was like, all right, here I go. I'm just gonna go for it, I'm gonna put this out, I'm gonna move to LA before it comes out, and then... I'm going to see where it goes. And it, it it went fine. It was a you, slow you burn. Upload, you put it out. Well, you, on, you weren't on a label at the time, right? Or were you? I wasn't on a label, no. I, I had just gotten managers, like, after I'd, I'd already finished the project. And they were like, oh, yeah, you should put this on Spotify and all these different, you know, Apple Music, whatever, whatever. And then... And then you're out here in L.A. And then I got a job in a restaurant in L.A. <laughs> <laughs> And then it slowly just built. What what was the what was the tipping point moment for that? Like when did it start? But at some point that caught fire. When did? Um, it's funny. I was working at this restaurant in LA that I really hated, but I, I I'd worked in a restaurant in New York where I'd like you know worked up from a server to chef to assistant manager. So I was making like fine. I was making like good money for where I was at. Right. But then I went to LA and they didn't, it was the same style restaurant, but they were like, nah, you're going to be a busser and you have to train for like a month. And when you're training, you get no money. You get like, just, you get paid shit. So I was still in that phase. And I remember Tyler, the creator came into the restaurant and I was like, you know, someone I like look up to, an artist I look up to. And I was just like, damn, this is not how I'm trying to meet <laughs> Tyler, the creator. You know what I'm saying? I was like, so I'm just avoiding his table at all costs. And then my boss is like, yo, I want to see you wipe down this table, which is like kind of close to his table. And uh, I was like, fine, dude, whatever, like head down, go wipe the table. And then this man yells at me because he's like, you didn't get the sides. So he like shows me how to like wipe the sides of a table. He's like, look, takes the rag and like does it. And I was like, oh, I'm uh, going to quit this week. I was like, this is <laughs> the worst, too. like, this is the worst feeling ever. And then it just so happened to be like that next week I got paid from my music just enough to like make it through one month. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm going to make sure I stretch this bitch out and not, <laughs> I'm not about to get another job right now. And if I have to next month, cool. But it ended up being the next month I got a little bit more than I got in the month before. And I was like, all right, we're going to do the same thing. I'm going to make, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, stay my ass inside, right? <laughs> um, and then it kept, like, growing. That was the last time I had to work at a restaurant. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. And were you doing shows when, at that point? No. Nope. No. So you wanted just coming in from, from, the, from the EP? From, yeah, from the EP, from streaming. Yeah. Thank God for streaming, man. Thank people, God, people, bro. You know, I'm like, Thank God. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was trying to put that 
EP out for free too. So I'm glad I didn't do that because it enabled me to, yeah, start doing this full time. We'll be right back with Burhanum after the break. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with Burhana performing his song, Golden. Cool. Incredible. So where'd that Kierkegaard line come from, man? Oh, that was um, college. <laughs> In college, we were uh, reading Kierkegaard in one of my philosophy classes and uh, his ideas on authenticity were something I really gravitated towards. Um, yeah. And that's, that's that line. That's not lines actually not even in the song that we put out. It was like, I was a, say, I've never, it was I, a lost verse. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, speaking of like not listening to lyrics, like I, I've listened to that song a bunch. I never heard that line yeah, till yeah, yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like, Oh, you know, let's like stretch out the song a bit. And I, I haven't ever performed that verse. So I was like, oh, yeah, let's do it here. That's, thank you. Thanks for yeah. doing that. First of all, I mean, I got, I studied philosophy in college because I got into Kierkegaard and I loved it. And then I ended up cool. not being able to study in the Kierkegaard in college. Like, yeah. I just didn't have any of that in the curriculum. And yeah. I, was, I was bummed. Um, and I, yeah, so that was great. And I just, I just, that just perked up on that because, yeah, I just hadn't heard that. That's sweet, yeah. In the song. 
So how'd you come up with the idea to structure? So your new album mm-hmm. is called Han, and this is your first actual album. Other one would be more of an EP. Yeah. And it's really cool because there's these little skits and not like these extended rap skits, but there are these like these cool little skits in between songs. Um, that kind of remind me of like Midnight Marauders For or something, sure. right? Like how there's like this lady guiding you through Definitely. the album. In this case, it's a flight attendant. Mm. How'd you come up with that idea? Um, Midnight Marauders was one of my favorite albums growing up. And I thought I always wanted to do my own version of that where it felt like a little more narrative based and I could put it in a space specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the concept of the album came before anything. When I, when I write, it's like, go about it different ways uh, the process of it but for this album it was like oh I know what the al- how I want the album to sound sonically I know what I want the concept to be and I know I want them to flow together seamlessly um, and have all of these different sounds like certain songs don't sound like other songs on the album but they still feel like they come from the same world um, and that's kind of that was my starting point mm. yeah you used a band on this one, right? Yeah, I used a lot of, um, I used a band, a lot of like great musicians. Danny McKinnon, who's in here playing with me today. Uh, Pomo, he produced the entire record with me. And how'd you connect with him? He was someone I really wanted to get into a session with. Him and Danny both actually, they were putting out a lot of like different videos, just them doing covers and like jamming. It wasn't even them putting out songs, they were putting out videos of just, you know, where they were and like what they were listening to. And it, it really, I was like, oh, I'm listening to the same things like right now. I was like, I really want to get in a session and see like what that's like. And then one session turned into like three sessions. And then I kind of finessed. I was like, threw out this idea like, oh, what if we did like a few songs and made it, you know, into its own project, knowing I wanted this to be the album. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, yeah, Pomo was so down. He was, that's like something that's really great about him as a producer. He's, he loves like challenges. And even though I was throwing like a lot of different things his way, he was just really excited to do something he hadn't done before. From the initial idea of it just being like a small project to becoming a full record, when did that? Um, in Japan. Long? In Japan. We went to Japan to record. I had a couple festival dates out there and, uh, Danny came to play with us. Pomo came to play with us. And we just had this like whole group that we were already working on the album together. So we were like, oh, let's stay like a few more weeks, rent out a studio and just go as hard as we can. In Japan? In Japan. Wow. And then when we were there, it was like, that's when it was like, oh, here's the outline. It, it's all right there. Now we just need to finish these songs. In the, in like Drunk, for instance, mm-hmm. which comes after Golden, Yep. Um, and, which, and you guys will play at some point t- uh, today. The opening line is drunk in Japan. Drunk in Tokyo, yeah. Drunk in Tokyo. Drunk in Tokyo, I do not know the language nor how I know your name. Right. And did going to Japan, did recording there, did that like change, did that change the vibe of the of, of the recordings at all or the sessions or like what Yeah, was- for sure. I think it's whenever you're in a new place, it kind of opens you up. Like you're not in the same routine. Everything's super new to you, especially a place like Japan where it's everybody looks different from you. Every store is different from any store you go to in America. It's a whole new world. So being in like that environment and like creating, you're going to get something different than you get when you're at home. Right. So definitely informed 
everything that we were doing, for sure. And the restaurant you were working at in New York was a Japanese restaurant. Yep. And you had to, like, learn some of the language there, right? Yeah. Is there like a, do you have an affinity for the culture there? Or was it, is this all kind of accidental that you totally. worked at a restaurant and had to learn some Japanese and that you ended up getting like dates and Oh yeah, it was, su- oh, it was super accidental. It was, uh, when I got the job, it was right, it was around the time where I was like, all right, I'm just doing this EP. I'm going to finish this. Da, da, da. And I was like, whoa, I'm broke. I need <laughs> some money. So I'd applied to so many different jobs, couldn't get anything. Then I had a buddy in New York who was like, oh, I have this job. They're looking for people. Um, but there's like a catch. They want you to speak Japanese. They want you to do this like 15 minute chant before shift starts that you have to learn. They want you to, it's like still very Japanese. All your bosses are going to be Japanese. They barely speak English. Um, What's the chant you have to do before you start a shift? Actually, if, uh, at the end of golden, there's like, you kind of hear like this guy, this end of this chant. And that was me recording the actual chant that we did. Can you, what is, do you remember any of it still? I remember. I mean, no, yeah. no, 15 minutes, but you got yeah. like uh, 20 seconds in you. Yeah. Uchino yona mise gai pai aruno ni, okiaksama wa, uchino mise urande kureta, den shani no te, waza waza kite kura sata, atama o ikuku sagatemo mania wanai, koshio hikura hikuku stemo otskanai, arigatai kotora, motainai kotora. It's a long thing, bro. It's a very Yo, long thing. To my untrained ear, that sounds like the accent's perfect, too, man. It sounds <laughs> like you're killing crazy, it. crazy, bros. And I was working like 40-hour weeks. And if you do like the lunch shift and the dinner shift, that's 30 minutes <laughs> every day. You're are you getting paid for that part? Are you, on, are you on the clock? <laughs> We're on the clock, thank okay, God. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but yeah. It was it was a very you know intense what it means? environment. Or you just is it just it's just like kind of I know, memory. I know like the gist. I don't know okay. exactly. I don't know everything. Got it. My Japanese used to be way better when I was there. But uh, yeah, that kind of like kicked off the affinity, I guess, for Japan. It was never, you know, there are a lot of musicians in particular and artists who will say that, like I, like I said, it, with this album, a b- big starting point for me was Japanese funk. And I feel like there are a lot of oh, nice. artists who would who'd be like, oh, like I just heard this like Japanese funk from the 80s. It's so weird and unique. I'm going to use this as a starting, you know, kind of fetishizing yeah, yeah. Uh, this thing where... For me, it was like, oh, no, all of my bosses were Japanese, only spoke Japanese. They would tell me, like, yo, you should read this book by Ryonosuke Akatagawa, or you should watch this movie by Yasujiro Ozu, or you should listen to this album um, by Yukihiro Takahashi. Or, like, they would put me on to things to where it was like, like, oh, because of that, then I was like, oh, this author is really tight. Who did he inspire? Or this filmmaker is really tight. Who are his contemporaries? And it kind of... Yeah, I kind of kept going down that to, that's how I got inspired, you know? It's because of the environment I was in. Wow. Yeah. This is like putting you in like a whole fourth other culture. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? yeah totally. <laughs> that's also very strong and distinct. Totally. So you were listening to all that stuff even before you went out there to record. So that must have been kind of fun to be able to record out there. Was totally. that what gave you the idea to say like, hey, let's try to absolutely. rally the troops and do it? Yep, absolutely. Cool, man. Definitely. Want to do drunk? Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. And sure. this is, this is about your first trip to Japan, right? First and second. First and second. Both, first and both second combined into one. Great. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for doing this, guys. Of course. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's all over? That's it. That's, That's it, it, man. Thanks to Berhana for taking us through his first two projects and sharing some of that incredible Japanese chant with us. Be sure to check out his album Han, along with our other favorite Berhana songs on a playlist we created at brokenrecordpodcast.com. 
You can also find a playlist we had him put together of some of his favorite Japanese city pop. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash broken record podcast. We're always putting up our old interviews there and our new ones, sometimes with bonus content. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell, Mila Bell, Leah Rose, and Martin Gonzalez for Pushkin Industries. The theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Thanks for listening. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now, Mark says, we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. He put everything you need to know in a new presentation specifically designed for people off Wall Street. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at newstocktrend.com right now. Again, the link to watch is newstocktrend.com. That's newstocktrend.com. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.